MS affects the supercomputer that runs the body and the superhighway that connects the body and the brain. So MS could do near anything, if you think about it, because anything that the brain can do could be affected by multiple sclerosis. And so in medicine, we have this term called the differential diagnosis, which is doctor talk for make a list of what it could be. We desperately need healthcare advocates as we navigate through any medical journey. And the very best healthcare advocate to cultivate is yourself. Everyone has a story to tell, and we invite you to join us for the Multiple Sclerosis Diagnosis Journey podcast and listen to these unique stories. Greetings and welcome to the MS Diagnosis Journey podcast. I'm Laura Koloskowski, your host, and today we have a very special guest who I was able to impose on to join us, and that's my own neurologist, Dr. Aaron Boster. So welcome, Dr. Boster. Howdy, and thanks for having me. Oh, I am thrilled that you said yes to this because we've been listening to people explain what it took for them to get a diagnosis of multiple sclerosis and the various twists and turns that their stories took. But I really think it's important that we also hear from people like you who make those diagnoses to help us better understand what we can do when we have questions, when we wake up some morning and say, something's wrong, what could it be? Amen. Yep. So when that happens for you, I'm sure you see lots of people who have no diagnosis who come in with fake symptoms. How do you approach that with them? So that's a pretty charged question. And <laughs> it's wide ranging. It's an open mic to you. I, no, I like it very much. I, I think that we have to start off by being really granular about what happened and talking through in as much detail as the patient and the um, village surrounding the patient can remember. So, so taking a very careful history, you know, you talk about waking up and something scary happened. I'm going to ask a hundred questions about what exactly happened. How quickly did it start? How did it change? Over what time frame did it change? What seemed to make it worse? What seemed to make it better? Have you ever had it before? Have you had something like it? You know, there's a host of questions because that history may hold the keys to trying to figure out what it is that they're dealing with. And that's really where we're going to start the discussion. And so if there's a take home behind what I'm saying it's to jot down notes to help yourself remember the event. And you're echoing a lot of what many of the people have said of recording that history of talking about symptoms extending over a period of time and being able to relay that to the medical people that they're talking to. I know MS is so diverse in how it presents itself, but are there particular symptoms that jump out to you that are kind of red flags more than others? Certainly. I would submit that the three most common initial presentations of multiple sclerosis are optic neuritis, transverse myelitis, and a brainstem syndrome. So let me unpack those. So optic neuritis is a situation where the nerve that runs your eye becomes inflamed. And so light information, which comes into the front of the eye, does not make it to the brain. It's like there's a traffic jam. And as a result, the human being will have trouble seeing. And oftentimes when they move their eye, it hurts. And when we do a neurological examination, there are certain uh, findings that we see. And, and this is a classic MS presentation. And so 
when somebody presents to us with symptoms of an optic neuritis, we're thinking, is this MS? And there's a couple other things that optic neuritis can be, but but that's a, um, a very common one that's going to raise our cackles and say, okay, we need to look into this. The second one I mentioned is called transverse myelitis. So Milo is a different language for spinal cord, itis meaning inflammation. So myelitis is inflammation of the spinal cord. The word transverse means that both sides are affected, although they don't have to be affected equally. And really what I'm talking about is a problem where the the superhighway, the spinal cord that connects your brain to your body has a traffic jam, has an inflammation. And so the sensory information typically in your legs, maybe the strength in your legs, maybe even bowel, bladder, sexual function may take a hit. And a transverse myelitis is another very, very common presentation leading to MS. The third one is called a brainstem syndrome. And so the way your brain is set up, the bottom of your brain, which we call the brain stem, is, is the control center for basically everything in your face, like your eyes, your smell, your mouth, your, you know, the, the sensation of your face, hearing, et cetera. And if there is inflammatory demyelinating damage there, it doesn't go unnoticed because that stuff is so important. And the human being may present with a double vision or a numbness or a pain or a droopy face or a slurred speech or a host of things which we kind of glom together as a brainstem syndrome. So those are the typical three most common presentations in, in MS. Okay, those are the most common. Can you think of the oddest symptoms that you've perhaps been faced with as people came in and said, something's wrong, doctor? Yeah, absolutely. And you have to keep in mind well, two things. One, that MS affects the supercomputer that runs the body and the superhighway that connects the body and the brain. So MS could do near anything. If you think about it, because anything that the brain can do could be affected by multiple sclerosis. The second thing is I've been doing this long enough that I've certainly heard a, a couple strange things. Um, so we've seen uh, psychosis as a presentation of multiple sclerosis, which is extremely rare. Uh, the human being had a giant uh, en enhancing space occupying lesion in the front of their brain, which we at the time thought was a tumor. It turned out to be MS. And so they presented with psychosis. They, they, they were hearing and seeing things that weren't there and they had delusions and they were, you know, not in their right mind um, and initially presented to psychiatry uh, and then found their way to us. So, so that was a pretty unusual one. I want to ring the bell and say, ding, ding, ding. You said the magic word brain tumor, because I hear that repeatedly from people talking that it could either be MS or brain tumor. So um, <laughs> you, you win a prize for dropping the secret word again today. So, so, you know, that's, it's worth talking about because when you get an MRI and we should talk about the workup that someone undergoes, but, but part of the workup in the modern era in, involves pictures of your brain and spinal cord by pictures, I mean, MRI and an MRI is not magic. It's just a picture of structure. Like if I showed you a picture of the outside of someone's home, but it can, it can give us insights into what may be going on. And when we see a spot it doesn't have an arrow with a label next to it. It's just a spot. And that spot could be a stroke, a tumor, an infection. It could be demyelination like MS. And we try to use the size, shape, the other characteristics of that spot to give us insights into what it looks more like. Uh, it's a process. And so in medicine, we have this term called the differential diagnosis, which is doctor talk for make a list of what it could be. 
And when you see a spot in the brain on an MRI, the list includes MS and the list includes cancer, amongst other things. Right. I just bring that up because so many people do mention that as a possibility when they're on their own journey looking for what's wrong. So yep. you you mentioned tests, and I got to tell you, for the first time, I actually interviewed a person who was subjected to the hot water test. Wow! Back in the seventies, and yes, yeah. it does it does work. Um, yeah. And it, as barbaric as that sounds, I interviewed a woman who was diagnosed even sooner, and she had a pneumoencephalogram done. Wow! Where they actually drained the fluid out of her spinal cord and injected air into it. So there were these air bubbles floating in her brain to try to get a good picture of what was going on. And just to me, the fact that she didn't die from it to begin with or have a stroke amazed me. But the other thing we should call out is that is an extremely painful process. So not only yeah. is that barbaric, but it's, it's extremely painful. You're basically giving someone meningitis. Yeah. And she said that she was in the hospital several days post that test. But at the time, that was considered advanced diagnostic medicine to look at the MS workup. So they were pretty sure she had MS, but they put her through it anyway. She had a family history of it. But now we know we fast forward that we have the MRI. We have all sorts of other things that can be done for tests. Is there a standard battery of tests that should be done for people thinking that it might be MS? Yeah, I think I, I would submit that there are five things that should happen when working someone up for possible multiple sclerosis. The first one we actually started to talk about, and that's a careful history. And uh, you know, this is where the, the human being can really help by writing down a timeline. In fact, when patients come to see me, I ask them to provide a timeline prior to meeting with them because I want them to go through the process of trying to put pen to paper and list out the events. And then we talk through that in great detail. So the first thing is a clinical history. The second thing is a neurological examination. And when you're doing the neuro exam, that's where the neurologist has you touch your nose and then his finger and then your, all that kind of stuff. What we're really doing is we're looking for evidence on the neurological examination to support what you just told us. So for example, if you tell me that you had a problem with your left leg, when I examine your left leg, I'm looking for signs on exam that suggest there's been damage. And I'm trying to link those two things up so they're, they're supporting each other. That's the second thing is a neuro exam. The third thing is the MRIs. And in the modern era, we depend heavily, our, our diagnostic criteria depend heavily upon imaging. And so getting at least a brain and a cervical spine MRI, although oftentimes I feel it's most appropriate to include a thoracic spine MRI, is part and parcel to an appropriate diagnosis. That's also very important to rule out all the other scary words. That MRI serves multiple purposes. Number four is a spinal tap. Now in Europe, almost all patients without exception have CSF drawn. In the United States, uh, that's not done routinely. And for those of you wondering, that medical jargon, CSF, is cerebral spinal fluid. That's right. And so a lumbar puncture, sometimes abbreviated LP, is really um, a procedure that we perform in the office where I draw spinal fluid out of your back and I draw blood out of your arm. And then I look at the number of antibodies in the blood and the spinal fluid. If there is an overabundance of antibodies in the spinal fluid, that is a check mark in the yes category for MS, and it actually participates in the diagnostic criteria. 
Now, oftentimes the history, the physical examination and the MRIs negate the need for a spinal tap. But when we're not sure, we'll most certainly collect that piece of information. The fifth thing is, hey, Aaron, prove it's nothing else. And it's very, very important that we consider the mimics of MS. And oftentimes we're crossing them off our list by ordering laboratories or by reviewing the MRI. And so history, physical, MRI, lumbar puncture, laboratories is an appropriate five-step workup for possible MS. That sounds so concise to me. It makes sense, but I have talked to many people who presented to doctors who really didn't take their symptoms seriously to begin with, or they listened to their history just minimally and said, oh, it's nothing. I've heard, don't put the keys in your pocket. Take your wallet out of your pocket. Don't sit with your legs crossed. A number of things like that where people were dismissed when they presented with uh, strange symptoms. So this five, five things list, though, I think would be very helpful for people listening to this who are pursuing their own journey here because you are concise in these. Well, and if we could, if we could reflect on what you said, because I think it's really important. It, you know, it, it, it leads me to remind all of us that we desperately need healthcare advocates as we navigate through any medical journey. And the very best healthcare advocate to cultivate is yourself. So it is frustrating when you've had a bad experience and you've had these scary symptoms and you go to see a physician or clinician and they blow you off. And I guess what I would remind you of if you're listening to this is it's your body and it's your brain and it's your insurance money. And if you don't like what they did or feel that, that something is missed, it is appropriate to get a second opinion. And I once again want to ring that bell and say, ding, ding, ding. You've repeated something that so many people that I've talked to for this podcast have said, be your own advocate because you know your body. And if you don't do it, no one else will do it for you. Yeah, yeah. You're a you expert. I mean, you know you better than anyone will ever know you. And so when you tell me that you can't see out of your left eye, who am I to say, nah, you know, because it's your eye. Exactly. So I will give you the opportunity to answer this question that I've asked everyone is that, do you have any advice for anyone who might be on their own journey thinking they have MS as to what they should do or how they should approach it? That's um, an even more charged question than the first one that you asked. <laughs> so I, there's several things that I could say, but I'll, I'll hold my comments to three. The first one is very often the person who is, who is being worked up for possible MS really, really wants an answer, which I understand because I would want an answer also. And sometimes our Kung Fu is not strong enough to figure out what it is in, in the process, we may tell them 28 things that it isn't. And there can be this gray area where there's very clearly something neurologically going on, but we're not able to provide a diagnosis yet. And that's a very uncomfortable place to be. Now, here's my point. Most people that I see when they enter into that gray zone, they want to put their head down and pause life and just sort it out and then go back to their old life. And that doesn't work very well. And so as hard as it is, if you can remember that you still have to live your life while you're going through this journey, I think that people who adopt that mentality fare much better. So that's my first comment. My second comment is 
please, please help yourself and help me help you by being hyper-organized. Typically, when I see someone with a question of MS, they've seen one to five other neurologists. And they're, they've been seen in multiple healthcare systems. They've had multiple different tests in different places. And I need to see all of that. And so if you get in the habit as you go through your healthcare journey of saying, please send me a copy of the note. Please send me a copy of the report. Please provide me a copy of the labs. Please give me a hard copy of the scans. You can keep it in a binder. And, it, and if you can keep that organized, it helps me help you greatly. It makes a really, really big difference. The third thing is I'm just going to repeat what we talked about earlier because it's that important. It's worth repeating, which is you need a healthcare advocate. And yes, I want you to cultivate yourself as an advocate, but bringing a loved one along with you to these visits can be very helpful because the visit can be overwhelming. You can get befuddled. It might happen quickly. And if you have another set of eyes and ears there, that can be a real lifesaver when you're processing what happened later. So those are three comments that I'll make. So there you have it, folks. You've been listening to Dr. Aaron Boster here on the MS Diagnosis Journey podcast. And he sums this up pretty succinctly with be an advocate, bring an advocate, do your homework, keep your notes, and be prepared to get answers. But don't panic if you don't get them right away, because it may take a while. So Dr. Boster, again, I'd really like to thank you for joining us today. I know the listeners will get a lot out of hearing your, especially your five things uh, looking for and getting a diagnosis and your other tips as well. Well, it's an honor, Laura. Thank you for including me and thank you for doing this podcast. It's amazing. Oh, it's been great. And I'll tell you what, I do have to say, as you were talking about the LP, the spinal tap, you were my only person who's ever done an LP to me. And I remember distinctly, I laughed while you were doing it. Yep. And we were, we were cracking jokes and you said, keep it up. It increases the pressure and we'll get through this faster. So thank you for making my own diagnosis journey as painless as possible. And for all the listeners out there, good luck with yours. You honor me. Have a great night. 